Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. For us entrepreneurs, it can be easy to get caught up in the big ideas, from getting the dream investor to making it on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. These accomplishments can be what drives us. But what if you stripped all of those titles and achievements away? What would you be left with? For today's guest, Nellie Chaboy, it was never a question of why she was working on her goals. In today's episode, the founder of TechLit Africa, a nonprofit organization that redistributes recycled technology to build computer labs in African schools, shares how to be inspired without comparing yourself, why we should redefine success on our own terms, and how to start with what you have. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, well, if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us in our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers. Without further ado, welcome Nelly. Nelly, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> of course. You know, you and I recently connected, and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work that you're doing in tech and in the social impact space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. So, look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So, my name is Nelly Chaboy. I am the founder and CEO of TechLed Africa. And what we basically do is we take 
computer donations from companies shipped it over to Kenya, where I'm actually dialing in from, and work with kids and teach kids computer skills. So cool, Nelly. Oh my goodness. When I was doing research into your nonprofit and your business, I was like, whoa, she's literally solving poverty, like the, the massive problem of poverty, which yeah. is huge. And I can't wait to dive deeper into that. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, what was it like growing up in Kenya? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Oh my God, that's my whole life. <laughs> so I grew up here in Kenya and I, I came to America in 2012. So I grew up, I was here for 18 years. And I, just for a bit of context, I am the second to last in my family. So I have two elder sisters and I have one younger sister. And school in Kenya is very expensive. So when you go to high school, parents are spending about $1,000 a year to put their kids through school. So when my elder two sisters were in high school and I was nine years old, my mom was always just traveling, doing different businesses so that she can put my sisters through school. So she'll come home at, at 10 p.m. She's just so tired. And sometimes she wouldn't have food and then we'll go to bed hungry. The house we were living in was not safe at all. So I watched during my formative years, I watched my mom work really hard to put us through school, even though her herself could barely read and write. And so it just really dawned on me that I really needed to take care of her, that I really needed to make sure that when I grow up, that she will have a better life, that she wouldn't have to struggle that much. And then I also realized that I also needed to write the stories of kids growing up in rural Kenya because I kept wondering, there's no way that everywhere in the world, kids are worrying about going to school barefoot, going to bed hungry, raising their younger sisters. So I was constantly just thinking about what life is like outside Kenya, what life is like growing up with resources. And so what I would do is I would read a lot. I'll just, any textbooks I found, I'll just read, almost experience the world through these books. And also partly because I wanted to do really well in it in school so that I can, I can leave. So it's a better way for me to make it in life if I'm good at school, right? I kept thinking that. And so I would, I would go and study at a veranda at a hospital because my mom couldn't afford kerosene. Like 6 p.m. is dark. If I want to study, I have to go find light somewhere. So I'll study at a veranda until 2 a.m. And so I graduated at the top of my class from a primary education, went to a really nice high school that was very expensive. And at that time, my mom was very sick, so she couldn't even do that many jobs. So she would always be traveling. Like, she wouldn't be traveling as much. She was only doing one job, like like a street food vendor, and therefore she didn't have that much of an income. So I was constantly sent home. And every time I went home, I will bring all the books and the assignments, and then I'll make sure to go back on Sunday because the accountant was not in and then I can just like lay low until I'm sent home again. And that was really my childhood and my high school and my education. I still graduated the top Gallup, like in the nation almost. And through that, got a scholarship to go to America. And so to think about like my childhood, my upbringing, it has really just shaped who I am, like what I believe, the optimism that I have, the problem solving that I have, it has really been just built from watching my really amazing mom just really believe in educating us. Because when I got to America, then I saw, I saw how different it was. I realized just how bad we had it. I saw that kids there have so much, right? 
computers, for example, right? And so then it became that, okay, now I need to bring this back. I need to bring these resources back to my community. I kept envisioning now something like a school or a community center that can have all these resources that I see in the suburbs of Chicago, kids growing up with. And yeah, so that's what really the nonprofit is and <laughs> what I ended up doing. <laughs> oh my goodness, Nelly. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm just blown away by your story and your mom sounds like an absolute just trailblazer and just uh, someone that never gives up. I guess what were some of the key lessons that she taught you growing up? I think so sometimes as an entrepreneur and for people listening, they may recognize this. Sometimes you you get a lot of rejections. You get a lot of no's. It's so easy to give up because it's so frustrating. And sometimes I think back at my mom, like for 30 years, she tried all the businesses there is. Like, for example, she would go to Uganda and buy clothes and then come to Kenya and sell it. Then she got arrested because of customs. She got arrested and now she had to stop doing that business. And then she started buying goats from a different village, bringing it over and selling it. And then she just gets kicked out because it's a man's world and she's a woman. So like she kind of like gets kicked out of the business. And then now she goes and, and sell mangoes at the market. And then all of a sudden, one day she's not able to sell. They all go bad. She loses all her profits. The next day she just picks up and starts a new business. Like she was just starting new businesses all over. It didn't matter. And she did that for 30 years. You know, like that kind of, I don't even know. And then when I think about that, and then I think about my stupid emails that I'm getting notes from. <laughs> it doesn't really compare, right? And and so it really is so motivating that that she just kept grinding with no end on sight and she just kept doing it. And so it's it's really easy for me to look back and no matter challenges that I face as an entrepreneur to realize that it was way worse, but she kept at it. How do we get better at keeping at it when we feel like we've tried so hard for such a long time, for years to get our businesses working, you know? Yeah. How do we get better at keeping at it? Yeah, I really think that then it becomes the reason why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? Like, like for me, it doesn't matter how hard fundraising gets. It doesn't matter how hard trying to convince schools to take our product is. I know exactly why I'm doing it. And this, it's simply because I know how dehumanizing poverty is. And, and I see it every day in my work. I see just how undignifying it is. And knowing that what I'm doing is solving that, right? Like, like if I stop, if I give up, it's not getting done. I'm simply doing it because no one is doing it. And so when you think about the problem and the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> it's really easy to look at people that you call mentors, people that you aspire to, and then you compare yourself to it. Like, how do you be inspired without comparing yourself? Because if you start comparing yourself, then it's just, oh, I've been at this for three years and I still haven't gotten a grant. So-and-so who I really want to be or I admire got a grant their first week into building such a business. So when you start doing that, when you start comparing yourself, it just brings it down. But then if you'll be like, a year ago, 
I didn't even have a social media following, but now I've built this community of people who I can just reach out to at night and ask them to support this specific project and they will do that. So when you look at progress, it's really inspiring and intoxicating, but when you compare yourself to someone else, then it just brings you down. So, <laughs> so I guess my two answers are like, know why you're doing it and then celebrate the progress. When was a moment in your journey of starting the business where you had to celebrate or you had to remind yourself to celebrate? I think so much of the time as entrepreneurs and those who want to start out and start something and do something different and make a difference, we suck at celebrating. You know, we forget to celebrate. We're just always on the grind. We're always on the hustle. When was a moment for you where you had to remind yourself to celebrate? I think I celebrate all the time. I think what I keep saying all the time to myself is that we're becoming legit. A music video and then the music video is about Tech Letter Africa and I'm like, oh my God, we're becoming legit. When, when we hired our first employee and that person is the one talking about Tech Letter Africa, that is not really us, the founders who are talking about is someone else. I'm celebrating that. When we make a merchandise and I see someone wearing it, I'm celebrating that. So I'm, I'm always celebrating. I think I'm very optimistic. I'm very hopeful. I keep thinking that a year from now, this would happen. I also look back at a year ago, where was I? So when something is very hard, when something is very frustrating, I don't think like, oh, this is so hard. I'm like, ah, future Nelly will figure that on out. I've just really surrounded myself with optimism and positivity because if you really look at the sad and the negativity and people who are saying that you're ambitious or people who are saying that you can't make it or people who are saying no to you or they just see passion in you, it's just really hard. It's really hard to keep going. And it's so crazy because like the whole venture, the whole what you're doing, it really is just you. Like if you just woke up one day and be like, you know what, I'm going to take a break on this, then it's over. It really is. <laughs> it's so funny that companies exist in the beginning just by the sheer will of the founders. So whatever it takes for you to continue to have that momentum, whatever it is, just keep at it. Like so many people, even the biggest brand that you see, it was really just that one person or just that small team that kept at it. And then over time it grew such valuable advice. I wanted to have a bit deeper into the story, Nelly. So you make it to America, you know, you're like number one in the region or, you know, almost in the country, I guess, for topping school. And then you make it to the US. And I think I saw that you, you were at Augustana College in at Illinois, and you studied computer science. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like getting to the US, realizing that, wow, the way I've been living my whole life, there is more out there, you know? I've had it really tough. What was that realization like? And what was that transition to the US like for you? I think for me, I think what I was really impressed by was the drive-throughs. Like you, you order food and then you show up and then that was so impressive to me. I was like, wow, wow, this is like, I've never seen this before. But really when I got to America, actually what happened is that when I grew up here in Kenya, 
I used to, and this is it, it's going to get really sad for a second, but then it's going to get better. <laughs> I used to scavenge trash pits, like trying to find food for my younger sister. And often a plane will fly by and I'll be like, oh, I want to be a pilot because I want to fly out of poverty. Again, nine years old. I just kept saying, I want to be a pilot. I want to be a pilot. And so I flew for the first time when I was 18 going to America. It's a 16-hour flight. It's actually eight-hour flight to Europe and then eight-hour flight to Detroit and then another connecting flight. Anyway, and then the whole time, it was just a very, it was very exciting at first. I was like, oh my God, I wanted to be a pilot. I'm flying, I'm flying, it's so cool. But then I hated it. It was awful. And so when I got to America, I just realized I don't want to be a pilot. I really don't want to be a pilot. And to have that childhood dreams for so long, for almost 10 years, and, and 10 years for a child is a lot of time compared to 10 years now. To have that dream for that long and then having the first experience of what it would be like to be a pilot and realizing you don't want to be that, that was incredibly sad for me. And, and I kept thinking that if I grew up in a place like this, I would have known what being a pilot was like. I would have probably flown. I would have known, right? And simply because I was growing up in rural Africa, I didn't. And so I get to America and I'm, I'm trying to find a new dream. I'm trying to find out what I'm going to major in. I have my family back at home. They're still living in a shack that is not safe. My mom is, is sick and, and she needs a, a better environment to, to sleep in. So immediately I get a job as a, as a janitor, just cleaning bathrooms on weekends. And then I save up that money and then I flew home one year later just to move them into a nice apartment. And so I bought all the furniture, flew home, went to a slum in Nairobi, bought all the furniture, put it in a truck, drove home for four hours and showed up and be like, hey, we're moving out. And so they're they're now living in this nice apartment. But then it turns out that they can't afford it. Right Now they have to pay electricity bill and phone bill. And so I'm only a sophomore, but now I'm sending money home, you know, every month almost like every week just for different utilities yeah <laughs> i don't even know where the story is going but anyway <laughs> it just provides context right and so now this, i'm a sophomore and then i realized that if i keep supporting them if i keep sending money every month i'll never really get to my community like i'll just be on the hook to support them and so i was really looking for a sustainable way to do it and so i came up with the idea to build a school and Building a school, the kids pay $10 a month to go to the school here in Kenya. And that money was enough to keep the school running, you know, pay for teachers, pay for stationaries, whatever. And then whatever was left could support my family. And that school ended up becoming a really awesome community center. It's a four-story building that has a music studio. We're going to have a dance studio soon. We're going to have tennis and so on. So it's a really big building now. And when I mentioned that, I really wanted to bring what was in America to bring it to Kenya. So growing up here, I'd never used a computer. I first used it when I was in America, really, when I got my first laptop. And so I'm over here trying to support my family and save all this money. And then also I'm trying to find a new major because I don't want to be a pilot. And then I'm trying to find a new major. And then my junior of college, I discovered computer science. And it was just by accident. I take a class and I fell in love with it. And so in this computer science class, I am so behind. I have no idea how to even look up stuff on the internet. Even like even the basic stuff I did not know. And the class assumes that you know these things, you know how to browse, you know how to do things. 
And so then is when I realized that it's like this simply because I was growing up in rural Kenya. I was working really hard in Kenya. I was reading all the textbooks, but that was the limit of my life because I was growing up in rural Kenya. And so when I discovered computer science, it just came all together because all along I've been obsessing on sustainable solutions towards poverty. And I constantly thought about what is it about us? What is it about rural Kenyans that we are always suffering, all the pain and all this? And it really became clear that it was really the system that we had in place. Like if you're starting a business, like this is why my mom could not even build her businesses because like she can't even get a loan to build a business. She can't even get employees. She can't even get, like it's just always, everyone is just grinding and struggling and you have to just keep working because you need to eat. And it's the story is so common. But if if someone that had working was in America, they would have made father, they would have had like a, a bigger shop or something like that. And so those systems, like, the banking infrastructure, whatever the, uh, you know, talent pool or those systems continue to put us down. And it's really hard to disrupt those systems. To fix poverty, we need to have a better banking system. We need to be able to give loans to people. We need to be able to have talent that support business growing. We need to be able to have infrastructure. Like it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of capital. But I saw that if with computers and technology, all you need to do is train people, train people on how to take advantage of being online, right? Just like build a brand on LinkedIn, uh, have an Upwork profile or Fiverr profile where you can you can make money, you can build websites. And even now with remote work being such a big deal, you can just work remotely for these tech companies out in the valley, here in the village, right? And so it became so clear. It's like, oh, you just need a computer and you just need internet access and the skills and you can make money online and so my life in america was just really like just grinding i i I wish i had like a better story i did not like that i had to leave mogotio to to become who i am to like have all these skills and resources and so i am like trying to like bring it back as much as possible so that people can still make it here in the village and not like if we are all living then it doesn't work but if we can make the village be the place where things happen then we really are uh, empowering people. Oh, Nelly, Nelly, I just have no words. I'm sure our peers out there listening are getting the chills. I was tearing up through, you know, some of that. And I just so appreciate you giving us the real raw story here because it is so powerful. Wow. I feel like you're really good at identifying or connecting the dots from your story. You know, I feel like you were like, oh, okay, computer science, that's now what I want to do because I can see the overarching picture and I can connect the dots and I can understand how that aligns with my vision and what I'm trying to do here. You know, for our peers out there listening who are struggling to figure out what their why is and if they know their why, how to turn that into something that's tangible and actually help solve the problem they're trying to solve. You know, what advice would you give to us around connecting the dots so that we can make a tangible impact? I mean, to be fair, like the dots are always connected in retrospect, right? You never know when you're going through it. You never know that this is what like, that the school will become tech-led or the school will become a community center. You never really know. And so there's one thing that I always say is just start, just do it, just start, whatever it is. Again, it's so easy. I think 
one of the benefits that I had is that I just had a problem to solve. I just needed to be able to support my family without needing to work so hard extra hours to support them. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to build a school. I didn't try to compare myself to like, okay, I need to have a business plan and then I need to find investors to support my school. And then the school needs to have this design. It was very simple. The school was very simple. It was like, cost me about three grand, which is a lot of money. And it was back then when I was a college student, but it didn't take much. I just started. And so it's really easy to, especially when you're consumed with content about entrepreneurs making it, it's really easy to think like, okay, with this problem that I have, how do I make it a billion dollar business? Or how do I make the headlines? Like this person is solving poverty for only a dollar a day or something like whatever it is, it's very easy to be like, oh, I need to come up with this idea that it's going to make the headlines. I need to come up with this idea that when I talk to investors, it's going to raise a billion dollars. And if that is your mindset, again, when I was starting, I was looking at what I have and trying to make it work. But I see now that if I was starting now, it would be impossible to start because I'll be trying to like, okay, I just need to get uh, a call with the founder of this nonprofit that I really want to emulate and then ask them how they did it and then see if I can learn something from them. I need to find this person to be my advisor. I need to get this money from this grant, right? But all I really need to do is like, I really care about teenage pregnancy. How do I fix that? Okay, let me find that one teen who got pregnant and, and see what problems that she has and then see if I can solve that. Okay, you find that one teen and then you realize like, Okay. Okay. I was able to help her a little bit. How else can I help her? And so when you start just by solving the problem, just like, I think if you really focus on just the problem that you're solving and just starting small, like just start with one, one person, start with one kid, one school, whatever it is, just start with a simple thing. But when you start thinking of like, okay, I need to get the Kenyan government to start having a curriculum on sex education. Then I need to have the birth control pills distributed. I need to change the perspective of, of parents here so that they can talk about sex with their kids. Then you're never really going to start because it's so, it's so hard. It's so hard. And you put that so well, I think exactly what you were saying around all the things we get fed about what entrepreneurship, and I say that in quotations, you guys can't see me, but is meant to look like, but you're just so right, Nelly. You know, it just starts with a need, a problem and your sheer will and desire to want to fix it, you know? And then it may be something, maybe nothing, but whatever it is, you're solving a problem. Yeah. Oh, I'm just literally, I'm loving this conversation and I want to keep going, but I am mindful of your time. I've got a couple of final questions for you. And the first one is, what has been your greatest failure and win to date? I've gotten that question before, like, what is your biggest failure? And I wish I had an answer to that. It's not because I haven't had any failures. I'm sure I have failed along the way, but I don't dwell on it. I really don't. Like it just is part of surrounding myself with positivity. <laughs> I don't really look at failures. I look at them like, oh, you live and learn. Like I, I look at them as lessons. I'm like, okay, I guess I should not have done that. But I don't blame myself for doing it. I say, okay, I guess I'll do it differently. So when something happens that doesn't go my way, I keep thinking, okay, why did that happen? What caused it? How would I have done it differently? But I don't blame myself for not doing it differently because I did not know, you know. And then my biggest success, I think, 
is always the kids. There's this kid. Her name is Lady. She's seven years old. I worked with her for eight weeks. So for eight weeks, she'll come to my apartment, like her and a bunch of other kids, like 20 kids. I just had like 20 kids in my apartment all day, just working, just like chilling and be like, okay, let's try this different program, this different program, touch typing, let's try coding. Like, just like proving the product, right? Like, how young do you need to be to learn touch typing? How old do you need to be to do coding? So for her, she was seven years old. Her fingers were very tiny. I was like, no, you can't really type. You just play this Super Mario game. Like, I didn't even bother teaching her. And then she learned from the friends who were around there. She learned how to do it. And then a few months later, I went to visit her and I just took my laptop out and I gave it to her. And then she was showing her mom how to touch type. It's the most heartwarming thing. She was just showing her mom how to touch type. And and sometimes when I go on runs with the kids, they're always talking about like, you know, the best way to do touch typing is actually to just go slow and then it becomes easier. Like it has become part of their their life, just having conversations about touch typing. And again, we teach other things, but the reason touch typing always keeps coming up is because I could not get a job as a software engineer simply because when I'm told to write a function, like solve a problem, I could not type fast enough to solve a problem. So normally interviewing problems, you have like 30 minutes. And it will take me that long to just type an answer to a function, right? And because I was just like trying to find the keys and looking at the keyboard and stuff like that. I will just get so nervous interviewing because I could not type. I felt so illiterate. And it took me six months to practice touch typing to pass a coding interview. And then now to see kids who are like seven years old touch typing. Now to see kids here from the village who grew up the same way I did, who are growing up the same way I did. But with like with an addition, like it's like Nelly Cheboy Life's Pro. Like it's an addition and they're able to touch type and they're talking about it like it's just like oh it's part of their day and they're learning this skill. It's just something I can never get over. It makes everything worth it. All the pain, all the frustration, it makes it all worth it. And and notice that I haven't talked about like like Forbes, like getting on Forbes or getting featured. Because really as an entrepreneur, it really is like seeing that what you wanted to see in, in the world, like the problem that you're solving, actually seeing progress towards solving that problem. And that is always the biggest reward. And if that continues to be a biggest reward, just seeing that you're solving the problems, then it's, it really is intoxicating. All this other stuff, like being recognized, all that is just vanity metric. But being able to actually solve the problem and see progress towards the world you want to see, I think will continue to be, uh, continue to feel like success to me. Oh. Melly, how do we redefine success for ourselves so that it is more aligned to what we want to achieve, do who we are? Yeah, I think it's like, are you better than yesterday? Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you just like can't get out of bed and it does sucks. And then tomorrow you're going to be better without any influence from outside that you can actually look at yourself and think that I did it. Sometimes it's like I got out of bed today. That was a good day. I'm killing it. Right. It's not that someone shared your post or someone like, no, no, it's just like, like, let it be something that you kind of like need to have some kind of self-awareness and just realize that what do I need and am I actually doing it and I'm actually making progress towards it and so because if you look at validations even from the people who love us they're going to disappoint you right so how do you how do you become self-contained in terms of like like a self-validating system I don't know (laughs) (laughs) 
it's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so true. So, so valuable. Look, Nelly, I want to take a moment before I ask you the final question to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, for showing us, you know, and particularly us ambitious women of colour, that if we have a vision, a goal and a dream, no matter how dire our current situation is, we can go out there and make it happen. It's not impossible, although it may take a lot of hard work. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. That's nice to hear. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, and that is what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think people define it differently. I think for most people it would be that fulfillment, like you want to feel fulfilled, you want to feel like like your life matters, that there's something beyond just like you surviving, like you're actually making a change in the world. I think for me, it's always just leaving a place better than I found it. Like there's so much pain in the world and it's really sad that it's still happening and it needs to be done. You need to become better stewards of the next generation. You need to you just need to get rid of pain and just become better stewards. I think that that, that is for me, it's always a value. It's like just kids should not be going to bed hungry. Like let's solve that. Let's, let's solve other problems. So let's solve climate change. Let's just get rid of pain and sadness. You're doing such a good job at it, Nelly. Honestly, it's it's so incredible to see. And I know you don't like the vanity metrics, but Forbes is how you and I got connected. And so I'm very grateful for that. Where can we learn more about you and Tech Lit Africa? Oh, I am always hustling on LinkedIn and all the social media platforms. I think about a year ago, I made a point to to just post every day. Simply that. It didn't matter if it was good, if it was bad. Like I mean, yeah, it was I had to do good content. And so I'm always I'm just always sharing. I'm always just trying to get the story out there, get the word out there and probably inspire some people along the way. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um you can DM me, I'll answer. And and then my email is also on the website, like Nelly Cheboy at techlerafrica.org. I'm really easy to find, so Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again, Nelly. It has been so awesome to chat with you. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit 
thepierceproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepierceproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. Peers.